Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. I am not your host, Stephen Robles. I am your pretend substitute backup host, I guess, for this episode. I'm Jason Ayton, and I am joined by regular co-host, Wes Hilliard. Wes, how are you today? Doing fine. Uh, not really dealing with any smoke or anything down here, luckily. I, I, we have some mountains to block all of that, so uh, breathing fresh and clear, so... Now, if I remember, are you in one of the Carolinas? Is that right? Uh, close. I'm in Northeast Tennessee. I'm touching okay. right next to it. All right. Yeah, we've, we're in Michigan. And actually, we have had like a week where you're not allowed to open your windows. So it's yeah, kind of scary. nice that that has passed. Yeah. It wasn't as bad as it was on the East Coast, but it was definitely interesting. So now I, I know you and I have interacted a couple times, but I don't. I think this is the first time we've actually ever like met, right? At least virtually. Right. Yeah, this yeah. is the first time we've spoken uh, online. I like, uh, yeah, we we have Twitter exchanges, and I and Twitter is always fun because it makes everything look ten times angrier than it actually is. But uh, <laughs> I do I do enjoy uh, talking to you about things. Yeah. I am I'm never angry on Twitter. I'll just say that right now for anyone. Just like no yeah. matter what it looks like, I am never angry. So if if it looks like I'm angry, my 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 apologies. So my rule of thumb is if I'm angry on Twitter. Uh, if I'm using cuss words, that's, it's usually like, if there's, if there's anything, um, that I'm particularly passionate about, I'm usually cussing, but that's just cause you know, I was uh, in the Navy for 10 years. So it's my natural part of my language at this point. Uh, I should probably say that Steven is traveling this week, but he will be back next week. So if you decide that you cannot stand listening to my impersonation of an Apple insider host, don't worry, things will be back to normal, but we do have a lot of stuff to cover today. It's been, Almost two weeks since WWDC, about a week and a half, and product reviews dropped this week for several of the Macs that they announced. Actually, I guess all of the Macs that they announced. Uh, and so we should dive into some of that kind of stuff. The 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 MacBook Air, the 15-inch, those reviews went live on Monday. I actually had a review unit of that. Right. And, and I definitely have some thoughts about it, but I'm curious, did you, did, did you don't, if I understand correctly, you're like an iPad guy. Is that right? Right. For the most part, I actually shifted from um, being iPad only to the 14 inch MacBook Pro because um, Apple actually made me consider it. <laughs> like they, they made the Mac exciting again with uh, Apple Silicon and the MacBook Pro hardware was just uh, amazing when it was announced. So I actually have the M1 Pro MacBook Pro. Um, I haven't upgraded. I, I don't need to. But uh, yeah, I've actually been working with uh, universal control with both machines, and I have no intention of upgrading anytime soon just because my workflows are not, <laughs> they don't need the latest and greatest chipsets. So did you say you're on the 14 or the 16 inch? The, the 14 in MacBook Pro. 14 inch. Okay. So I, I did write a review of the 15 inch MacBook Air. And honestly, my biggest takeaway is that the 15 inch MacBook Air is exactly what you expect and that's exactly what apple needed it to be it's it basically is a, just the 13 inch with a 15 inch display right it is exactly the 13 inch with a 15 i mean literally the only differences are it has two more speakers which right. great that's fine nobody's buying a macbook air for the speakers let's just be honest right and technically it has a little bit bigger battery but that's completely offset by the powering that larger screen so apple says it gets the exact same battery life other than that i think the only other difference is you cannot configure it with the binned processor at the low right. end it's uh you know once you configure the 13 inch macbook air to be exactly the same as the base model 15 you're only about a hundred dollars apart right um like I'm, I'm very tempted by this machine because again my workflows 
I, I'm I'm very text based. I, I write for Apple Insider. I'm creating images for articles. I'm not editing uh, 18 streams of 4K video. I, you know, recording a podcast isn't the most intensive thing you can do with a computer. So honestly, I could probably do well with an M2 15 uh, inch MacBook Air. But again, I'm just happy over here with my 14 inch. <laughs> yeah, and I, you- I couldn't do without promotion, honestly. Yeah, and that's that's a thing that people have said. And obviously, the the display on the MacBook Pros is it is significantly better than the display on the MacBook Airs. It's right. it's one of those things that once you've experienced that, it it's hard kind of to go back. I used a 14 inch M1 Pro MacBook Pro when they first came out, and I got rid of it and went to the MacBook Air. Eventually, I have a I have an M2 13 inch MacBook Air. And my main reason is because I travel so much that 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 difference in weight just was not worth it for me. Uh, And the M2 MacBook Air is honestly, I think it's the best Mac overall that Apple has ever made. It's not the most performant by any means, but it's the best, you know, sort of compromise of all of those different things. Um, The 15 inch after using it, I guess I've had it now for a week. It is all of the good things about the 13 inch MacBook Air. It's just with a bigger screen. And when I was at, so I was at WDC and they have a little hands-on area. And this was the most striking thing to me is that when you walked into that, the very first thing I did and the first thing I saw everyone do is you just walk over and pick it up, right? Because that's the thing you want to know. Is it still an Air? Because Air means something to Apple, right? right. It's, it's You should be able to pick it up with one hand and just carry it around and it's lightweight. And honestly, the 15 inch, it is. It, it's about it's about a half pound heavier, but because it's also larger, it, it feels like the same amount of density. Right. It's it distributed feels, evenly. Yeah. And so if someone just wants the you know best bang for buck, but wants a bigger screen, the 15 inch Air really is. Now, I, I still think I'm going to stick with the 13 just because it's a little easier to carry around. <laughs> it's just yeah. a little bit easier. Honestly, uh, so... I, I'm so upside down compared to other people because I, I definitely prefer working from my iPad. In fact, like every day I, I, I check and say, like, can I can I just do my work again on the iPad? I'm I'm literally three processes away from being able to shift back to just full on iPad work again. One of them is podcast recording. Um, but I would throw my money at Apple so quickly for a 12 inch version of this um, just uh. because I briefly owned the 12 inch MacBook and I've never had anything like it. It, it, it could barely turn on. Uh, its processor was awful and it got really hot really fast, but the size and weight is unmatched and it's never been done again. And honestly, like as much as I would like, th- I like bigger displays, but if I had to pick my perfect workflow, it would be iPad pro, whatever size, heck I would buy a 15 inch iPad pro, but the 12 inch MacBook just to travel with me. And then when I'm at home, just hook it up to my studio display with, uh, in clamshell mode that would probably be perfect. And uh, like the 15 inch I'm hoping is a sign that Apple isn't uh, afraid of having a few different size classes available. Yeah. And well, and that's actually a really good point because the sort of the takeaway that I really got from using the 15 inch for a week is that Apple actually made the process of buying a Mac simpler because now your choice is like, do you want lightweight, good battery, but still very capable? Or do you want ultra powerful? And then you just pick your size, right? Yeah, the 14, you no longer the, need to think about um, what's that silly uh, clock speed, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. You don't have to think about stuff like that when you're purchasing a computer anymore. It's size, display technology, and chipset, and that's pretty much all you got to worry about. 
Right. And there are no differences. I mean, yes, technically there are the two speakers, but there are no functional differences between the 13 and the 15, just like there are basically no differences between the 14 and the 16 inch pro, right? It's just like, choose your level of performance, then pick your size. So it really does make sense if for them to consider, you know, I actually, I used an 11 inch MacBook Air when those first came out. I also at one point had a 12 inch PowerBook G4, like way back in the day. There's no reason for them to now that they have Apple Silicon to think about like, let's just, what can, how can we push this and offer people those other options? I always think back to that um, Charlie Rose interview that Tim Cook did, and they were sitting at this table uh, and I don't think it's true anymore, but Tim Cook was very proud to say, we can fit every product we sell on this table. And it's kind of true today if you don't, if you don't account for every size class, I guess. But it, I, I appreciate that Apple always uh, has the ability to, you know, like they the the famous they they say no a thousand no's to every yes kind of thing. Um, but I do wonder too, like we're seeing Apple move in a different direction, and not necessarily in a bad way, like uh, having more size classes, more choices for the consumer, and it's drawing more people in. Uh, but they're also cutting some people out like they did with the uh, Mac Pro. Yeah, but I think just one last thought on this is what they did with the 15-inch MacBook Air is I think they opened that door again because there are a lot of people who are like, I do not need a $2,700 MacBook Pro 16-inch, but I do need a bigger screen, so I guess I have to go to buy a Dell or a whatever. Right. One last thought, like, because uh, no, it, it seems everyone forgets this uh, because all of us nerds are so focused on the the new and shiny um, another amazing thing Apple did during this keynote was they dropped the 13 inch by a hundred dollars and they kept that M one MacBook air in at nine 99. And of course you can get it on sales and discounts. That product is still an amazing option for someone like my niece who is 16 years old and is begging for a MacBook. And it's like, yeah, we can probably get you an M one MacBook air with all this performance and probably 10 years of lifespan for around $800 if we look hard enough. Yeah. And you know, the M1 MacBook Air honestly is the laptop. When someone just comes up to me and doesn't have any kind of specialized need, they just need a great, reliable laptop that's going to last them five or seven years. I a hundred percent recommend the M1 MacBook Air. It is probably like overall the best value that Apple offers in a machine right now. Cause M1 is still really good. I mean, M2 is technically better, but like not in ways that most people will notice on a regular basis. Yeah, not that normal people would care anyway. Right. So let's look at the uh, Mac Studio. Some of those reviews. I did not have a Mac Studio. I don't have any use for a Mac Studio, although it's a fascinating machine. And, and I guess we got the question answered of will the Mac Studio and the Mac Pro live side by side? But now that the reviews have come out on the Mac Studio, it, it I feel like there's actually some more questions because it seems like Apple's use case for the Mac Pro is not the use case that a lot of the people that we hear talking about wanting a Mac Pro were going for, right? They want to be able to stuff it with NVIDIA GPUs. And Apple's like, no, you can stuff it with $7,000 PCI cards. And I'm sure there's a use for that, but it certainly is not like, I think it's different than what people were expecting. And I think that caught people off guard. You can stuff it with uh, audio cards and like the, the there's like photo uh, editing accelerators, video editing accelerators, stuff like that. But it's just uh, kind of useless considering that the uh, M2 Ultra's um, media engines are so powerful. Uh, like there's just only very specific niche applications. If Apple made the Mac Pro originally with the 
Intel and everything with in this tower back in what 2019, they made it originally for the 1% of the Mac user base. This one is for the 0.01%. It, it, there's probably so few people that actually need this that it, it does feel kind of like they're phasing it out in favor of the Mac Studio because it's just a more compact thing. It's designed around Apple Silicon. And I think, I, I mean, I look at the Mac Studio and I see the future of Apple desktops and what it, what Apple is pushing for, expandability through Thunderbolt. Um, I think there's going to be more partnerships in that way. I, again, I think they'll solve the graphics issue. I, I think this is a stepping stone and it's not a priority right now, but Apple does know that they have those customers out there. And maybe the Mac Pro will exist, like an M3 Ultra Mac Pro uh, in the future will have some sort of weird support for uh, external um, graphics and GPUs and such. But it's just such a low priority compared to the consumer base that they are focused on. Like, can, can Pixar get a Mac Studio and, and build a, a the entirety of Toy Story 4 on it? I don't know. I don't think so. But of course, Pixar, if they're doing that, they don't necessarily need to stuff it full of GPUs, right? There's other things that they need. So they're probably still going to buy uh, and, and the fact that Apple sells the Mac Pro as a rack mount tells you who it's really for, right? Like it tells you that it's for these, like, I've, you know, a workstation type computer. I One of the things that was really interesting to me, I heard John Turnus say on the talk show, you know, they, they hit, John Gruber does his live show uh, at WWDC. And, and it, listening to John Turnus, who's the head of uh, hardware engineering at Apple, talk about the Mac Pro it's almost as though Apple's not afraid of the fact that this isn't the machine that some people were hoping for. And by that, what they mean is I want a super powerful Mac that I can run windows on and have all the GPUs so I can play games. And Apple's like, dude, it's fine. There are way better PCs that you can use. Like that's not the market. I think Apple's just choosing a different route. I don't think they're closing the door so much as um, they'll address more markets later. It's just, this is who, who is a, it's available for now. And the fact that they still support the Intel Mac pro uh, with Mac OS uh, tells you what you need to know. It's, it, it's not available for purchase anymore, but honestly, everyone who needed one has bought one. The, the, that machine has been on the market long enough that yeah, if you need a $52,000 machine with every possible upgrade in it, you've already bought it. You weren't say you weren't saving up for that. I don't, I don't think so. I think the businesses and the people who needed it have it. And the people who are going to replace that with another piece of Apple hardware probably are hurting a little bit for something newer, some some new Intel variants, some new t- uh, processor types. Uh, luckily, they can upgrade their ch- uh, their PCI slots, right? Because that's the point. Apple, I don't think, is in a rush to address those markets because, again, they're just so small. And like you said, like during the, that um, interview, uh, that talk show, uh, they also kind of, they, they jabbed a little bit at windows, you know, you don't want to buy one of those, but they also said, but you know, they're actually pretty good machines. If that's what, if, if we don't meet your needs, there are plenty of machines out there that will meet your needs. And uh, they weren't afraid to admit that. But I think that's because Apple is in such a strong market advantage now. Like we're seeing a lot more Macs being purchased. It's, it's crazy looking at today's Apple versus Apple of maybe 2008 uh, from a Mac perspective and seeing how they're kind of taking over that part of the market. Yeah, and the other thing I think that's important to consider is Apple is at this point in the stage of its life as a as a company is not afraid to it's it's not in a hurry and it's not afraid to put things out step by step. So it's it's not necessarily a given that this the current form factor and state of the Mac Pro is what it will always be, right? Right now the only thing you can do is stuff it full of PCI expansion cards like 
audio, video, and actually storage. That was the other thing they talked about. Like you can stick a bunch of high speed storage into this thing and, and, and fill it up if that's what you need it to do. But I don't know that it's necessarily true that it's always going to be that way. And the Mac Pro was late, right? I think they were expecting this machine to come out sooner. And I wonder if it's, I mean, I don't know anything, but I wonder if it's possible that they were trying to solve for some of those other use cases and they just couldn't get it figured out and they needed to get this thing out. There's 30 different Mac Pro towers sitting in Apple Park right now running like NVIDIA chipsets. Like they're they're trying to figure out everything, but it's just, you know, it's a it's a complex issue and the people worried about the Mac pro, like they look at the Mac pro as like the pulse of Apple. And I don't, I don't really agree with that. If you look at Apple as a company and where the Mac is today versus where it was, you know, 30 years ago, I think it's important to consider that the Mac is the developer ecosystem and Apple is building those computers so people can make apps for iPhone because iPhone is the lifeblood of Apple. The Mac studio is more uh, is more than anything you'll ever need to develop. Uh, and of course, there's going to be more use cases. And uh, Apple's media engines tell you everything you need to know about who they're serving. It's not just developers, but the um, artists, the video producers and stuff like that. But they're not really super stressed yet about what's outside of that. But look at what's outside of that. What what industries are there? It's gaming. And if you look at what APIs and tool sets that Apple is working with right now that came from WWDC, there's a lot of exciting motion in the gaming sphere that has nothing to do with how many graphics cards you can stuff in a tower. So I would say just pay more attention, pay attention to that field and don't worry so much about what cards you can put in a Mac Pro. Yeah. And also the subset of the gaming market that we're actually talking about is is large, but relatively speaking, I mean, the largest gaming platform in the world is the iPhone. I mean, it is, it's just followed by consoles. It's just, but it's just not the games that we think of when we talk about gaming, right? Which is consoles. It's all, it's all, yeah. It's always interesting to me that, um, the, the PC market is a lot like Linux users. They think they're the only ones in the universe. Uh, yeah. PC gaming is huge. There's, you know, it's millions of dollars in this industry. YouTubers make their livings talking about this stuff. I don't care personally. Um, I've always been a console person because I just want to plug it in and play the game. And when you look at the greater market, people just buy a console. If you really want, if you're a Mac user, you probably own a PlayStation or an Xbox. Like that's the long story short. And I think people are just okay with that paradigm. And there's the vocal minority of people begging to be able to game on Mac. It like most of us have given up, right? (laughs) Like there's like, it's, it's fine. If I want to game on my Mac, I have actually a lot of small little games that I can play like an Apple arcade. And I know that's silly. You know, the, the big boy gamers out here playing 300 hours a week of uh, destiny on, on their, you know, PCs are laughing at me playing last campfire on my Mac, but that's where we are. Right. Um, I, I just don't think, uh, people address the greater market or look at what is actually happening, what people are actually demanding when they discuss like Apple's missing out on gaming. And it's like, no, they're not. Well, in gaming, <laughs> honestly, it's, it's just entertainment, right? So whatever, right. and people tend to buy the device or the console or the platform that has the games that they want. Honestly, like we have a quest too. Uh, we have a switch. Um, I think that might be the only two like gaming devices we have, but my boys, when they want to play a game, they just want to play Minecraft on their iPad. Like 
seriously that's all they that's all they care about and it's it's hey i still play minecraft on my yeah. iPad. that's an excellent option. they, they yeah, love like, doing that. i mean could they <laughs> could we buy a, a windows pc that might be better at minecraft maybe but like they're happy just they just want to play it on their ipad my, uh, one of our girls plays roblox on her phone like it i'm not spending money on a ps5 at this point because the kids don't care about any of the games right now I, and i shouldn't show them any of the games because i might regret that later right. but yeah it's they, they don't need games on the mac at this point the larger gaming industry is piping uh, a lot of, well, they've been doing this since I, I, I could think and read, uh, but they've, they've been piping in pixels and, and resolution and, and all this. And, but then like, honestly, I can turn on Mario from the super Nintendo and have as much fun as I can playing the most beautiful game on PS five. Now they're different experiences, but again, I think that's where Apple thrives. They're they're the, the iPhone experiences, uh, the gaming experiences on iPad and even Apple TV um, are enough. I was a huge fan of SpongeBob Battle for Bikini Bottom on PS2 back in the day. It is now on my Apple TV, <laughs> right? And I can just connect a game controller. And it's like, yeah, this silly game from, uh, gosh, 23 years ago uh, is just running up here. And Apple, I think, is missing an opportunity to push for more. They should have all the Final Fantasies on Apple TV. They should have all the Grand Theft Autos. Apple could do more. They need an evangelist to go to these studios and say, hey, look, um, I actually talked to Microsoft because they pulled the Minecraft game from Apple TV and said, and I was like, why Why is this gone? I want the Bedrock Edition on, on Apple TV. And they said, there's just not a big enough addressable market. But that was in 2016. I wonder if that would be the same. Uh, as today they're putting minecraft on everything like i think you can play it on some samsung refrigerators so i don't see why it's not on apple tv <laughs> yeah that's that's true that's a good point so and you talked about apple doing more about gaming i mean they did release some tools to help windows developers port their games directly to the mac i think it will be interesting to see because right now what they're essentially saying is you know they, and they made a big deal during the keynote of death stranding which is a game that pretty much anybody who wanted to play has probably played a couple of years ago, right? But it's just now going to come to the Mac. They're going to have to get out in front of it in order to like encourage these developers to release them on a Mac when they're coming out on a PC, not four or five years later, because you're not encouraging people to game on the Mac if they've already bought something else to play the games that they want to play. Metal, th Metal 3 and those systems like that enables Death Stranding and No Man's Sky and Stray, these, these games, these big titles... Uh, coming from the consoles to the Mac, like Metal Three is great, and I I, I kind of understand because I before I was ever in tech, I was into gaming, so I I was definitely in the gaming field. So a lot of the stuff that they're talking about makes sense to me. I I can wrap my head around it. But um, what's more interesting, I think, and uh, where we should be watching is this. I, I I don't know the name of the toolkit, but there's this toolkit that everyone's been talking about there that can basically run games from windows through rosetta and allow developers to basically test what would my game run like um if it was ported to mac but that's not what people are using it for they're basically hacking together um emulated versions of pc games through steam uh on the mac and they someone got cyberpunk 2077 that couldn't even run on the ps4 because it was kind of broken but it was also just so intensive they got it running on a mac uh at a low frame rate but on ultra settings and if you put it on regular you know normal settings uh not so high it would probably run smoothly you know above 30 frames or even closer to like 50 that that's impressive to me and the fact that apple silicon's uh 
like neural engines and processing and all of that is able to basically transcode that game built for windows not even optimized in any way for mac but translate it into a mac uh local process and still run that i think is a sign of where we may be going maybe not so many ports but maybe convincing steam that it will be okay to have more games running through uh, emulation layers or translation layers on the Mac. And I think that might be a breakthrough for Apple. This episode is brought to you by ZocDoc. Guys, I love ZocDoc. I've used it so many times now. It is a free app you can just download on your iPhone and find doctors that are near you and take your insurance. Maybe you've been stewing about a health problem you think you have and you've resorted to texting some group friends or even worse, maybe searching online for what it might be and there's never good news there. Well, don't do that. Actually go to a doctor, get it checked out and the way you find that doctor is ZocDoc. It's the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient reviewed, take your insurance and are available when you need them and treat almost every condition under the sun. When we moved about a year ago and I needed to find a new primary care doctor, I opened the ZocDoc app, I scanned my insurance card so then ZocDoc knows my exact insurance provider and plan and then I was able to pull up all the doctors near me. You can pull up specialists, general practitioners and you can see those patient reviews right there and then book an appointment right in the app, which is great because I don't want to call an office, sit through a phone tree, make an appointment that way. I do it all right there in the ZocDoc app. And they even have virtual appointments that you can just do via telehealth. I made appointments for myself, for my kids when they've been sick. I can't recommend it enough. You have got to try ZocDoc today. So go to ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Apple Insider. ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider. Don't just search in the app store for ZocDoc. Go to that link so they know that you found them through us. That's ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider. Thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring this episode and our good friends at Collide. And you know the big news that they have. If you're an Okta user, which I know what that is, single sign-on, they can get your entire fleet to 100% compliance. How do they do it? Well, if a device isn't compliant, the user can't log into your cloud apps until they fix the problem. It's that simple. Collide patches one of the major holes in zero trust architecture, which is device compliance. Without Collide, IT struggles to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and browser up to date, and unsecured devices are logging into your company's apps because there's nothing there to stop them. Well, Collide is the only device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication, and it's built to work seamlessly with Okta. The moment Collide's agent detects a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions to fix it. If they don't fix the problem within a set time, they're blocked. Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. So visit collide.com slash Apple Insider to learn more or book a demo. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. So let's talk about a device that Apple uh, seems pretty clear is not for gaming, <laughs> which is the Vision Pro, right? Now, they didn't say it's not for gaming, but they definitely didn't say anything about gaming on this. They showed Apple Arcade NBA 2023 on a 2D plane. And that that, that was very silly to me because the graphics were 
ungodly uh, given the rest of the presentation you just see these pixelated characters running across the screen they could have shown literally any other game and it would have looked good i don't understand these i guess maybe they're trying to appeal to a sports gaming crowd yeah. but that was a silly choice to and make. i will say that is that in the demo that i was able to participate in there was there was zero gaming involved in that and, and i'm ha- i'd love to talk a little bit about that experience but first i'm kind of right. curious what your overall impression is of we now know what apple's idea of a headset is and it's very different than any other company right now Uh, so i'm just curious what your thoughts are well when they first started playing the video it these last maybe six months all right so people i'm the rumor guy at apple insider i I talk about this a lot I, i track the rumors i track the rumor sharers we we try to keep uh, we kind of grade people uh, d- depending on uh, their their history and stuff and say like you can trust this rumor you know stuff like that and the apple headset rumors have evolved over time uh, i think ming chi kuo and mark german have always kind of switched back and forth between terminologies of mixed reality and virtual reality and when i first saw this uh headset like the first two minutes i was like they all got it wrong it's augmented reality but as soon as they showed them turning the dial and switching to virtual, it's like, okay, this is what they meant by mixed reality. Because industry terms are annoying and mixed reality previously meant something else. But now I can see why they said mixed reality. So it's a basically uh, a combination of augmented and uh, virtual based on your decisions. I am very excited for this device because um, it's not only is it just cool it's a fun demo um it looks like it'll be really fun to use and you actually got to use it so that'll be interesting to hear about like my my favorite um i've listened to a few people discuss this uh but my favorite version so far has to be from uh cortex uh mike hurley i believe uh was able to go hands-on and he goes into detail just basically walking you through putting on the headset and what the demo is like and the uh, experience he had so i recommend going and listening to that that'll be in the show notes but for me the minute I saw the app icons floating in the living room, I was like, I'm buying this. I don't care <laughs> what it does. This is, this is where we're going. Um, it's a vision of the future. And I think Apple AR glasses are the ultimate goal. Now, I mean, I know we, Ming-Chi Kuo has said something silly. <laughs> it, it was, it's maybe one, maybe two reports total in the last five years of Ming-Chi Kuo reporting on this stuff. He mentioned one time, contacts by 2030 that's absolute nonsense but um i'm looking forward to the glasses experience i think uh, the augmented reality version of this that is free from a tethered battery that doesn't look like ski goggles on your face is where we're going and that might be by 2030 but honestly if i can just have a taste of that now i'm i'm willing to spend the 3400 or 3500 yeah and the thing that stuck out to me is there were so many questions like, how will Apple do this? How can, how, you know, and it's a lot like multi-touch was on the iPhone. I remember the first time I picked up an iPhone in November of 2007. I, I got one a couple months after they came out. And I, at the time for my job, I had had a BlackBerry. I'd had Palm. I had all those smartphones. I had lots of dumb phones. And this was, they had figured out things on the iPhone that we just take for granted now, but that were really transformative at the time and kind of blew your mind. And they, you can tell that they put so much thought and effort into the, especially the interface. The technology is, it's kind of unreal. It is, it is hard to imagine how they managed to do this so well compared to any, anyone else who has tried. Of course, that partially explains the $3,500 price tag on this thing. But when you put it out, like 
you know how you can give your grandma an iPad and she can, she knows what to do with it. Right. Because it's just intuitive. It's like, what do you want to do? Right. You just touch it. Right. On the, the thing about the vision pro is what do you want to do? You just look at it and then you just pinch your fingers in, in the fact that Apple, like that is a concept is brilliant. But the fact that they were able to get the technology to make that reliable, I mean, when you put it on for the very first time, it, it's as if you're just looking at the same room you're already in because you are, because the video pass through is that good. That's great. And then my understanding is um, Apple can only show so much in a video, <laughs> um, especially of a 3D space um, and people wearing a headset. They want the headset in the video. So we're not actually seeing through the glasses most of the time in their demo. I recommend everyone go back and watch it for the probably 20th time, but go, go, go pay attention to how they're presenting it. These are still um, screens in front of your eyes, very close to your eyes. So close. In fact, that you can't even wear glasses. Whereas most other headsets have spacers that allow you to wear glasses. Uh, these ones um, actually require you to buy contact glass that magnetically attaches to the headset, which is interesting. When you're looking through these uh, screens, they're still screens. They're still pixels individually lit up to display a video being fed to it um, from the ex external to the headset. So I, I would have to assume that there is some level of this is a video, but yeah, I, I can see how maybe your brain is tricked into, because it's 3D especially, your brain is tricked into saying, oh, I'm not even wearing a headset, right? Like, um, but can you tell at all? Like, were you able to notice that that, that you're, it's a video feed? So there's actually two things there. You can definitely tell you're wearing a headset because it's actually pretty heavy. <laughs> Unlike some headsets that have come out, like the, the Quest 2 is 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 not lightweight, but it's it feels quite a bit lighter than, than this did. This, I mean, this is like the AirPod Max of headsets it's it's dense and it's heavy it's what you would expect they didn't it's not plastic it's you know aluminum and laminated glass and all that stuff but from a video perspective i will say that the effect is so good that you it's not like looking at screens showing you video from the outside world it's like you're looking through maybe a slightly tinted pair of ski goggles that you know so you can tell that you're looking at like it's not quite as actually the biggest difference was that maybe it felt like there was a slight tint to the color coloring of the video that you're watching but you can't see any pixels i mean they nailed that and they nailed the focal length of the out, outward facing camera so that they are they exactly match the field of view of your eyes when you're not wearing the headset and honestly if you think about it that is by far the most important piece of this effect right that the, what the cameras right. see and show you on a screen have to be exactly the same as what your eyes would see. Yeah. So what's interesting to me in this, I actually um, really cared about a lot of this stuff. So back when I 3d TVs were coming along and uh, 4k, it, it was all kind of happening at the same time. I actually studied a lot about um, how eyes work and why they did made the decisions they made and how, why TVs need to be 4k, um, you know, re resolution wise. And there's this calculation that you have to do the distance from the screen versus, uh, how many pixels there are gives you basically a pixel density, um, that is necessary to become what Apple calls retina. Uh, so the pixels are no longer distinguishable to the naked eye. And that, I think Apple has to appeal to the greater audience when they're making this video, but it's annoying that we're still stuck with resolution. They have to say it's like greater than 4k per eye. That's not really a good way to describe it. Um, the pixel density I think is more important here and they were able to fit what 64 pixels per pixel 
uh, of a what you would call on what's on the iPhone, right? And um, so hold your iPhone as close to your face as possible, and you can make out maybe you know the faintest lines of pixels on the screen. Um, imagine those cut up sixty four times, and that's your pixels. So. I think Apple did a really good job. The displays are apparently 10% of the price of this headset. That's like of the $3,500, 10% of it is just the display. And I can see uh, people are talking already about the cheaper vision, Apple vision headset um, that's supposed to come out by the, I don't know, late 2024, early 2025. I can see um, the display being one of the things that they have to cut back on because it's just such a significant piece of their hardware. Yeah, and I don't know if they would, the thing is, it's also such a significant piece of the experience. And one thing I think that conceptually people think like, oh, 4K for every eye. That's, I mean, I have a 4K TV or I have a 4K monitor. Uh, I actually do have a, personally use a 4K monitor. And like, it's not amazing because it's also like 30 inches. So you take those pixels and they're spread out. But you have that same number of pixels on the size of a postage stamp, right? It's like mm-hmm. comparing it to what you think of as 4K, is not a great analogy for just the average person just trying to conceptualize it because like you mentioned, it's it's in order to get that many pixels into that small of a space, think about how small the pixels are. Because if I, I have a 4K TV that's like, what, 65 inches in my living room, if I walk up and I get close enough, I can see that there are pixels, right? But if you shrink that down to the size of a postage stamp, you're never going to see those pixels ever. Yeah, and and I th- and I think the high quality of the external cameras is important too. And I think because of the curved glass on the front, that's why they're able to achieve the perfect field of views. They somehow just mathematically figured that out. But uh, I actually own the PSVR two, um, and I own the first version of that. I can see what Sony has done stepping from the first version to the second version. It is night and day. The the screen door effect is basically gone for the most part. I mean, it's still there. Uh, This PSVR 2 is not a perfect experience. It's definitely not Apple uh, Vision Pro, but um, text is much clearer. I can read menus and stuff and... But if I shift my head even a little bit, everything becomes blurry. And um, I think that's not true of the Apple Vision Pro, right? Yeah, no, that's that's correct. It's not, although they do use, what do they call it? The foveated rendering. So technically the stuff that's out of your field of view is not rendered at a- right. you know, Sony at, does that too yeah. on the new one. Now, the, yeah. the I actually think that the comparison to the PlayStation VR headset is, is interesting because, uh, and I've never used one, but I've heard very good things about it, but it has the advantage of being tethered to a GPU on the floor, right? Yes, it <laughs> has a the... cable. And I don't even notice the cable. I'll play Beat Saber, and um, that's a pretty moving game. You're ducking and squatting and moving your hands quite a bit, and the cable's invisible to me. Yeah, and it, but it, it has the... All of that processing is happening off-board, and then it's just rendering it on... It's just a display at that point with some sensors, whereas Apple's doing all of it on your face, which is pretty amazing. I, I think it will be interesting to see how people want to use this. It's going to be an amazing entertainment device, right? The demos they walked us through where you could watch 3D movies, you could go through your photos, you could could watch non-3D movies and make it look like you're in a theater or make it look like you're sitting on the top of a mountain to watch your movie. You can can decide how much of the world you want to to tune out if you're on, they showed someone on an airplane. I don't I don't know if I put one of these over my head on an airplane. <laughs> yeah, that's a little scary. Apple Vision Pro is interesting for the 3D experience. I think it, uh, they focused on entertainment and work in this keynote because that's what people understand. Gaming is a niche and people who already have spent everything on their um, 
you know uh what's that thing called the htc vive mm-hmm. uh, level of uh, extreme gpu setups for their vr headsets like and with rooms filled with cameras those are the people who are gaming in vr uh religiously and like people like me who bought a psvr2 who wants to occasionally play beat saber probably less worried about gaming on something that's uh like the vr apple uh, vision pro but i think this is only part of the story i think this is a what you'd call a preview uh there's more to come apple's going to have more of these full uh, 3d experiences that they filmed with 360 degree cameras i think they're going to have game-like interactions i wouldn't call them games more like walking simulators uh, that you can dive into um like they're going to have more partnerships uh, apple arcades absolutely going to have to play a part in this like i think we're going to see a full services push against this headset when they do the actual quote-unquote hardware keynote whenever that would be january of next year they're going to have a i i I'll put my money on. They're going to have a dedicated hardware software keynote for Vision Pro uh, before it officially hits the shelves. I wonder where we're going to be in two years. Like, and this is an M2 chip. Uh, I think that's because of the cooling capacity of the headset. Mm -hmm. But imagine what happens when we get to the M3 or the M4 and we're increasing the capabilities of this thing and and maybe get an even more pro headset with external um, chipsets that you put in your pocket and whatnot. So... I'm hopeful for the future. That's for sure. Yeah. And I will just kind of to wrap up the Vision Pro, echo your suggestion that anybody who wants to get a good firsthand sort of account, uh, Mike Hurley's uh, episode on, on Cortex, I guess it would be the most recent one in their feed at this point, is very good. He, the experience he described is very similar to the, what, what I experienced. I think each person had a slightly different, the demos were the same, but there were different points at which maybe they worked better than they didn't. But the part of it I would say is I've, you know, I've been to a number of Apple uh, demos or excuse me, briefings. I have never been to a briefing like this before. Uh, Even the original iPhone briefings were Apple built a very large building on, it looked like an Apple store kind of on its campus that I don't know, had eight or 12 individual rooms you showed up, there was someone there who was only job was to help you scan your face and your ears for the fit of the light shield and uh, spatial audio. Then you went to the vision person and and I actually had my prescription. So I just gave that to them. But if you didn't, they would take your glasses. They put it in this thing that would shine light through them and tell, tell the computer what your prescription was. You'd wait, you'd be brought in. You'd have two Apple people who walked you through this guided experience. And the reason for that is because the the killer feature of this is the experience, right? It's it. This is not like an iPhone where you're like, I know what an iPhone does. I just have to decide how much storage I want and how big do I want the display. It will be really interesting to me how Apple actually sells this to the public because it is a device you have to try. You can intellectually think like, oh, this would be good for this or I don't need this in my life. But it is a device that when you experience it, if you if you imagine back at some point in your life when you either, I don't know if you went on a roller coaster that just was like amazing and you're like, I have to do that again sometime or a video game that you played or I, just like some experience you had at your life that you're like, wow, that I, I'm going to remember that. Constantly thinking about and yeah, just you're going to remember it forever. It. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I'd pay $3,500 to buy one of these, but I would pay some decent amount of money to have had another hour using it because it was just amazing 
So you're kind of on the edge of maybe I don't want this, uh, at least not the first iteration. It's not that I don't want it. $3,500 is still real money. <laughs> like It's hard to, just, it's hard to justify. I gotta, like what, what you could buy instead. I got to put four kids through college here sometime in the near yeah. future. But do I think it's worth $3,500? Absolutely. For the experience yeah. that I had, what they have is absolutely going to be worth it. What they're going to do. I have the benefit of not having any kids. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little bit of play money. Yes. I mean, on, on the flip side, like would I spend $3,500 on a souped out MacBook Pro if I need it? Probably. So I guess it's not that bad. It's just, we think of it as like a device, a secondary device, right? We think of it, most people would not spend $3,500 on an iPhone right. because it's not your, even if it's the device you use the most, you don't think of it as your primary computing device. I, it's hard to think of this as the primary computing device, but at the same time, it, it definitely could be for a lot of people. It's capable I, of doing I, that. I think other than podcasting, like I think it'll be an iPad situation again. I could probably work from this for 90% of my day-to-day -day tasks. There's going to be like three things I'm not going to be able to do on it. Um, and I don't know that I would want to because eight hours in a headset just sounds scary, but um I don't know. It's something to look forward to. If I can have the money for it, I definitely want to be a day one adopter. Uh, but before we move on, I just wanted to like, is there anything else you want to say? I know like you got to experience firsthand, so I could spend two hours talking to you about that. But. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the most interesting thing to me, I like, I can't reiterate enough how like the eye tracking thing is the most, I don't know how to explain it other than that it's like magic. <laughs> like it is the epitome of, you know, we always talk about Apple and say, you know, people love Apple because it just works. Right. It just, whether, right. whether that's like, I can copy something on one device and paste it on another one. And I don't have to think about it. It just works. Like it's that times infinity because you literally, you just look at things and you can look at like the small little circle with an X in it to close out an app window. And it, it pinpoints exactly what you're looking at. And then you just make a simple gesture is that that part to me was the thing that makes this actually successful as a product. It doesn't require any kind of handheld, you know, controllers or anything like that. Um, and I will just, I, I guess I'll just go back to, I don't know if Apple has fully told the story for why people will need this, but I feel like it's, it's definitely telling a story for why people will use it differently than they use anything else that's on the market. You talked about an event in January. I like, I don't know anything I have. This is purely off the top of my own head, but like, I would not be surprised if we see this released on January 24th of next year, which would be the 40th anniversary of the original Mac. I oh, feel like course. this is a big enough product that Apple would use that as a statement that they'd want to make. This is, this is Tim Cook's legacy. I mean, everyone wants to talk about Tim Cook doesn't have a product. Well, he has like five products under him, but that's not important. Um, I think that this is the one that people are going to point to and say, this is what Tim Cook did for Apple. Of course, yeah, he's like uh, multiplied Apple's value by 10x and that like there's a million things that he's done as a CEO, but for whatever reason, Wall Street's just not happy with any of that, but they're always looking for the thing. And I think this is going to be uh, at least the beginning of a thing. We're going to look back at this keynote in 10 years like we have the iPhone uh, gosh, almost 20 years ago and say, this is the, uh, singularity. This is the divergent point of computing, uh, personal computing. Again, it was brought about by Tim Cook's Apple. Um, just like we say, Steve jobs, Apple back then. So I, I do wonder, so you say like they, they built a whole, uh, zone for this for testing. Yeah, so they, they called it the field house and it was just large. I mean, you could tell it was made by Apple white building 
that was completely open to the outside and in the, you know, and if you just imagine an open space in the middle and on, on the right and left hand side were these rooms that they would take you into and in the middle was just couches and stuff. And after you came out of one of those rooms from the demo, you sat down with a product manager and could ask questions and, you know, they would answer them for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. And right. the, I mean, my, my main question was, how are you going to sell this to people? Because we went through, like, it took five minutes to go through the process of scanning your face and then having your glasses and stuff. And they said, you'll just do that in the app. If you can't come to an Apple store, you'll just do it in the apps, like the Apple store app. So you'll still be able to, you won't have to go to an Apple store to get fitted for one of these. Right. You can do it all just from the app. And it'll scan That's your cool. face and scan your ears and you'll do all that and you'll submit it. And if you need the glasses, you'll order those from Zeiss and, and they'll just work. Well, the telltale sign that we have uh, for physical Apple retail is um, they rebuilt the Tyson's Corner. Uh, well, they, they moved it into a larger area, uh, but it's a new um, venue. And uh, one of the things that they added that was unique to that location, I think will eventually come to every mall location with the space for it, is they added a new um, avenue is what they call them. But it's a, it's a, it's a basically a big room. Right now, it's an Apple Watch try-on experience. But it's a large room with a table in the center. And I think that's absolutely going to be for the Vision Pro. They didn't build that for the Apple Watch. It was just a placeholder. And I think that's where you're going to go try it on, walk around the room and interact with this thing before and uh, get sized for all the parts before purchasing it. And I think, um, I mean, it won't be at every Apple store, but it's going to be at some of the major ones I would expect. And uh, I think that's how they handle it. But just thinking about the future of Apple, uh, I think... I don't know, Apple car is going to be interesting. Are they going to build a racetrack in the middle of Apple Park? You're going to have to drive around the center. You know, I don't know. But well, I mean, the difference is people have driven a car before. Sure. So like it'll be a different experience, but it's not an experience that people haven't had before. I think that that's I mentioned I mentioned last time I was on the podcast before before WWDC, um, like with VR headsets you can't describe it to people. You just have to try it on. Like if you've never, ever once in your life put on a VR headset, that's halfway decent. The fact that you're in a 3d space, completely isolated from the world and controlling things with a controller, your hands, you can't understand how interesting and different that is until you've done it. So I, again, I recommend just go find one of these things and try it on. Yes. So, okay, let's rate, I want to rate the Mac, uh, excuse me, the vision pro. And, and I want to think about where we think it fits in, in terms of how big of a product it will be when you think about Apple's other products. So if like, will it be on the scale of the HomePod or of the watch or the iPad? I, it's not going to be on the scale of the iPhone. Like that's just not, there's just no way that that will be the no, case. Nothing. But can I, reach that. Personally, <laughs> I think it will be bigger than the Mac pro. I think it will probably be bigger than the Mac studio. It will not be as big as the iPhone or like the MacBook air. This is the AirPods max of the VR space. It is that I believe that's true, but I think it will be a bigger product overall for Apple than AirPods Max. AirPods Max. Yeah, I'm. I think it's more like the maybe the iPad Pro. That yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. If I had to put a sales figure on it, like a who's going to the store to buy one, it's probably going to be the kind of people who would buy a Mac Studio, right? Um, it's going to be in that range of people. And I, I mean, we don't, Apple doesn't reveal anything anymore, but Mac Studio being high end, I think it starts at two thousand dollars, just like the MacBook Pro it has its market and Apple, I don't think it's going to sell as many as the Mac studio, but it's going to be in that range of, I have enough money to get the computer that I want. I do wonder what we're going to like, what we're going to see market wise of this is my first augmented reality or mixed reality product. 
Yeah. So let's talk for a couple minutes about the betas because they've been out for a little while. I know you've been using some of them. Oh. I have been using, okay, all of them. I'm all in on all the betas. <laughs> <laughs> and we should say that you may find some of these things fascinating, but I, I'm not willing to recommend anyone use the betas. I will say this though. I almost always use the betas on almost everything and I've never really had problems other than battery life degrading. I currently am using macOS Sonoma. I don't know if I was supposed to put it on the 15 inch review. I've heard of people doing that before. Because I had to record this podcast. So I was, so I was not putting it on my main (laughs) computer at this point. And I'm using iPad OS 17 um, because I wanted to check out the widgets on the lock screen. I am not using watch OS or iOS yet. And my main reason is because my watch battery doesn't make it through a full day and I'm not putting a beta on it at this point. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. Well, I, I have it on everything and then they're all my personal devices. I don't have alternate devices. Um, just cause I've always done that. And it's what, again, like if you ever decide to do this, cause I, we can say all day long, don't do this, but if you're a nerd and want to do this, you're, you're probably going to do it. I, I would say, I would stress that the thing that it's not like it used to be where you might expect a catastrophic failure and all your iCloud files are gone or something. It's more like your quality of life is decreased when you're on the betas. Um, I have a bedroom light that's NanoLeaf. It's one of their newer ones that goes through. It's a a Bluetooth radio that can switch to thread uh, rather than their previous models, which were Wi-Fi. Um, That no longer works in HomeKit uh, because I'm on the betas. Uh, It's a a bug that's recurring that was fixed in iOS 16. It's it's returned in iOS 17 until they get that patch through. Um, So you're always at an off step, even on iOS 16 updates that have bug fixes that their teams are separate. So you might not get the same bug fix in iOS 17 beta three that someone just got in iOS 16.6, right? So think of it that way. Your your, um, battery lives are going to decrease. There's going to be issues, but for the most part, for me, I haven't run into anything too crazy. Widgets are kind of broken on iPhone and iPad. Uh, Some apps just don't want to load at all. Um, Well, and that's actually a good point. The biggest quality of life degradation that you experience is that the apps that you're running have not yet been updated. So the new features, for example, anything that changed in widgets will not exist in any of your apps because those apps that you're running in the store, unless you have a test flight for a beta, that's different. But the apps that are only for iOS 16 at this point, right? So there are going to be some weird cases. So what are your favorite features having used the betas just kind of across the board? Some of the things that you're like, this is really cool that they finally did. This. Well, so it's weird. It's um, it's, it, I, I'm stuck in one of those situations where I've only had it for a week, but I've already forgotten what's come out. Uh, uh, but I've I've been testing a few things. I really um like that FaceTime's on the Apple TV. As weird as that sounds, we set we set it up. It didn't work because I think everyone has to be on the same operating system f- for whatever reason. But we set it up, and uh, the continuity camera connected to uh Apple TV, it just zoomed. We were in the couch across the room. It just zoomed in on us and cropped in our, our uh, upper bodies, and it was perfect. It was uh, brightly lit and displayed on the TV, and uh, I expect this is going to be a fun way to have like family calls in the future. I like that there's a lot more continuity stuff. Perhaps my favorite thing, and listeners of the show is probably going to know this, everything to do with contacts and social updates. Uh, I've always been uh, a proponent of contacts it's the brain of your iPhone. It's where you teach Siri everything that you need to know about you and your family and your friends. And it's only gotten more powerful and it's only gotten more important, right? Like now contacts is what feeds whether or not someone can join a share play session and car play on Apple music. 
and and um, contacts uh, is part of name drop and your new contact posters and syncing that through iCloud to other people's phones. Like there's so much information there. I've barely scratched the surface on updating that. Like I really like that they've put a lot of work into that because that database is really important to iPhone and Siri intelligence. Um, standby mode, I think by far is the most life altering feature quality of life feature i've changed my house around this feature right by uh moving yeah i actually purchased a couple of new mag magsafe stands specifically for this feature i now have the nomad um base one uh stand for my desk uh, i've got a new mount for my uh living room table i've moved a new nightstand charger to my bed and now i have standby everywhere i can possibly have it because that feature is so great and um i love that it switches based on which charger you're using uh that that by far is the most obvious and most um in your face feature i think uh, out of everything on the mac i will say that the two things i really like one of them is super useful the other one is purely like just one of those joy and delight type things on the Mac. I actually really like the add to dock feature in Safari for two reasons. One. So this is a feature now where you can basically create a web app out of a website and just have it sit in your dock and launch it without having to launch Safari first. And the two things I like about it is one, it removes all of the browser UI to whatever it is you're so I like on Substack for my newsletter, I just created one of those. It takes me directly to it. I don't have any of the browser UI. It's just, the interface that I use on a regular basis. And then the other thing is nice. Yeah. I can now minimize that without minimizing all of Safari. Right. So that's, I mean, that seems like a silly thing, but like if you had five websites you use regularly and you made web apps all of, out of all of them, you could individually decide whether you minimize or hide or whatever um, without affecting your entire browser. Right. And so it treats them as it doesn't, it treats them basically as separate instances of Safari, not the same. So I really like that. The other, I've really enjoyed uh, on that uh, side of things. I've really enjoyed Safari profiles because I was already using um, the tab browser groups with focus modes, but now profiles actually takes that a step further as an abstraction layer above tab groups. So now you have, you can switch to different profiles based on focus modes and each profile can have its own set of different tab groups that you can switch between. And I'll say if you're on iPhone running iOS 17, turn on that bottom tab mode, uh, the bottom, uh, what, what is that? The, the, the search bar, the address bar, yeah. move it to the bottom. The experience is built for that. And it, it's so cool. I love it. If you haven't seen that interaction, go try it out. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, the other one that I really like on Mac OS is the video conferencing features because I do spend a lot of time on video conferencing. So one is the presenter overlay where, and this just actually works already. I actually did this with Zoom the other day. Like, Zoom hasn't been updated for Sonoma, but it just automatically works where you can share your screen and it will show it as if it's like on a TV behind you. Now, it doesn't look like it's on a TV. It will show it behind you and it sort of cuts you out of your background and slots it in there. Uh, and it's actually just a really different way of if you have to be presenting on a, a, a meeting or if someone else is presenting, it, it's a lot more interesting because you can still see the person. It makes a huge difference. And then there's they also included video reactions. So like it used to be true that if you typed in a text message, happy birthday, like balloons would show up or whatever, or happy new year, it would like show uh, fireworks or whatever. Well, now you can do video reactions in Zoom or WebEx or Teams or whatever it is you're doing. And you can even just trigger them with gestures. So like if you they showed in the video, the cheesy you stick your two fingers up and the fireworks go off, but it actually works really well. And it's just kind of fun because video meetings, 
I was going to say that they suck. I don't know if we're allowed to say that on this podcast, but they just do. <laughs> yeah, they're not good. Yeah, and so they're just not great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This just makes it fun. Like anything that takes takes something that's kind of miserable sometimes and makes it more fun. Um, I'm, I'm all everything it. Apple's done with watch OS is awesome. Like I love the new interaction. It takes getting used to uh, everything's kind of the buttons have been just shuffled around. But I like that. Uh, I've actually grown complacent in my watch use and I've just been using kind of the same watch face with no complications. Cause I just really like, uh, it's the contour face where the numbers wrap around the edges. I just really like that face, but I don't have any complications, but now I just scroll up and I have access to all of my different app widgets. Like that's awesome to me. I like that. Um, they, they're just rethinking the system in a way that, that works, I think for uh, casual watch users and the the pro people can still go in and have a 37 complication watch face. I still think we need cu- custom watch faces, but um, I think we'll eventually get that personally. But uh, one last thing, I know we're running a little long. Um, I wanted to do a quick run uh, down of what Apple has Sherlocked uh, during WWDC. This list every year seems to get longer and longer. And this is just what I could think of off the top of my head. I don't know if you have any to add, uh, Jason, but, um, well, before you do that, I did want to just on the betas. I I love the piece that you you actually wrote a piece about how you can actually use the developer betas by signing up right. for a developer account, but not having to pay the ninety nine dollars to submit apps to the app store. There's now a free tier. Yes, yes, which is great. So if you are interested and very impatient and not willing to wait for the slightly more stable public betas, you can sign up now. Get a developer account without having to pay the ninety nine dollars. So yeah, let's talk about the yeah. So um, if so, listeners, uh, you know, you follow us on Twitter. Let me, Jason, Stephen, even William, just you know, if you guys have any uh, specific apps or uh, services or anything that you use or pay for that have been Sherlocked by WWDC this year, twenty twenty three. You know, not last year, twenty years ago. Uh, let us know. Um, actually, I think William is going to be working on a piece uh, gathering up some of the major items in the next week or so just to kind of point out like hey this is uh sorry developers this is everything apple's taking over um but this for me is uh what i've noticed so name drop that's huge uh there was an app called bump back in the day i think you pointed this one out jason Um, i used to love bump actually when you'd go to like a networking event or a conference it was it was like it was pretty amazing and then i think google bought it and it just it disappeared it did the google thing it it, it, yeah it got they they ate the engineers and they never saw the light of day again. Uh, the I'm so iMessage stickers. Uh, I love this. I've already been using it. By the way, if you um build iMessage stickers live or not and put them in your chat, no one can see them unless they're on iOS 17. So if you're like, why isn't anyone laughing at my amazing stickers? Well, the they're not on iOS 17. Uh, but that replaced Sticker Drop for me, which I was uh, building manual stickers out of using the same feature. Actually, Apple the the lift subject from background Sticker Drop was really smart with this. Just Apple stole it. Um, journaling. Uh, the journal app, uh, can't wait for that. I wish it was in the betas. I don't think it's going to be here till 17.1 from what I've read. Um, but the instant this is available, goodbye day one. Can't, I'm, I'm going with the Apple thing. I, I like that Apple gave you guys APIs. You're going to survive. People who really like have a 30 year database with you is probably going to stick around, but I'm happy going with the first party option. Uh, and I think honestly that this is probably targeting people who do not currently journal yes. to because the, the key feature here, because I did actually see a demo of this, are the prompts, right? Like the, it's like here, maybe you should write about this or you might want to 
share some notes about these three photos that you just took at the beach with your kids or whatever. I, I do think that services like day one are more likely to survive than a service like bump. It doesn't exist, yeah. but if it did like for, there'd be no reason for it or sticker drop. I, but I do think the journaling app is pretty amazing. And I'm very glad that Apple. And, and I think the, uh, and the, um, I can't remember the, the name of it, but it's the API for this uh, suggestions, I think is the API that let other apps provide data to Apple's journal. I think that's going to be open to, other journaling apps i don't know apple's weird with this stuff but um, i think that's unclear yeah, yeah. that's still I, I don't think they've said that clearly yeah yeah but day one for me has always been a here's a photo here's what i did today and it happens to log the weather maybe the music i was listening to there's little data points i'm a data person i like being able to go back and uh, awaken old memories even if it's only a couple paragraphs it's just like oh yeah we did do that or this did happen and it just it's organization for my photos and gives it more context and I don't need day one for that. Like day one has a uh, a much larger system. Like you can have encrypted journals and uh, prompted journals, dream journals. Like there's all this stuff that they have built in that I'm just not using that Apple's journaling app will be perfect for me. And that's why I'm going to make the migration. It won't be for everyone. Just like Apple's passwords app isn't for everyone. I'm all in on iCloud passwords, keychain, whatever you want to call it. Um, but now I think it's going to be more appealing to more people, especially like Steven shared passwords. And I wanted to point out, this isn't a Apple family sharing thing. This is like, you don't actually have to be in a family to do that. You invite five other random people, as long as you have their Apple ID, and they can be in an iCloud shared photo library, but you're limited to just one. This is different. Shared passwords, you can invite five random people to different groups, and you can have multiple groups of shared password sets with different people. This is this seems really cool, and I can't wait to try it out Um but I think it'll be a good answer to those still hanging on to like one password and other things. Yeah. And I'm actually interested. I'm interviewing um, a couple of people from one password next week. And I'm very interested to talk to them about how they see this as affecting their business. Because I do think that if you, I mean, they're, they're more geared at this point towards teams and businesses yeah, they're and, moving to business business. and you, yeah. and you really want to do, like, there's definitely gonna be some value there, but for a person like in our family, like the fact that I could now just share a group of passwords with, my wife or our kids, or we could divvy those things up. Like our kids don't need access to the passwords to the bank accounts, yeah. but we could create a group. And so I think that will be really useful for a lot. Of people. Yeah. I think it's going to be uh, interesting and pass keys being part of that is really important. Um, Apple music liner notes that replaces music smart. I don't know how detailed that's going to be, or if music Smart's going to likely have more data and more input. I'm sure that that developer is going to have a lot more control and a lot more information, but Apple music's about to have a lot more information. Uh, so I just wanted to point out that uh, playlist collaboration is coming in maybe 17.1 or later. Uh, that one, that one's where you can share playlists with other people and kind of like an iCloud shared note and edit a playlist and add music to it or remove it. Um, that actually is a feature in an app called cassette. Uh, that's going to be Sherlock's um, Siri remote. Find my, I just wanted to point this one out because nomad and a few other people sell cases for the Siri remote that let you add an air tag to it. <laughs> that's yep. still going to be more accurate because it's um, using the U one chip. The um, find my uh, integration for the Siri remote is Bluetooth based. So it's going to get you within like 10 feet of it, which, you know, I don't know how useful that's going to be. Um, Apple maps, trail data is going to replace trail apps. Uh, I don't know how detailed this is going to be. Again, I think all trails and these other things are going to have better information, more updated information, but now you probably don't need a separate app for that. If you're just a casual uh, trail goer looking for parks in your area, um, PDFs and notes, my goodness, you're, you're a blogger, right? So you've probably been pitched 
a lot of these PDF guys, right? They've been they've been really heavy on the ad push lately, even at Apple Insider. And uh, this, I think, is going to hurt a lot for these PDF. Yeah, and it's just going to be great to have some of that built-in functionality for either annotating or editing a PDF or filling out. I mean, yesterday I was filling out soccer forms, right? And you just, it's, I think that this is one of those quality of life improvements that people who are not like you and I that have our kind of finger on the pulse of like all of the different things that are available, it'll just work for them and they can just have it in notes. Take a photo of a document and fill it out in place and send it in an email all in one workflow. Handheld too. Like Apple does the work for you. If you get a PDF and an email, they have the send back to recipient uh, or, or sender at the top corner. Like I think that's just really smart. Um, mood tracking. I've actually been using this. I th- no one's really talking about it. Uh, I, I, I've seen a couple of people dismiss this as juvenile. I think it's kind of, it's, if you've ever dealt with depression or anxiety or any mental health things, um, mood tracking is actually really useful because you can get a greater scope of your mood over time. Is it improving? Is it decreasing? And you, you can only do, you can do this once a day or multiple times a day. And honestly, I think this, this feeds into the journaling app and I think it'll all tie together. But right now you can actually do it in Apple Health and iOS 17. Um, and you basically just pick a mood, say like, and it gives you like a little category set of why are you feeling this way? Family, money, whatever. And then you can write like a 20 word description of why you feel this way and then hit save and that's it. And then that just creates a chart in Apple Health and you can follow that along. Um, that's useful if it's useful for you. If not, you can ignore it. But I think that one's interesting. There are hundreds of mood tracking apps on ios so this being built in again to the health app i think is important it's interesting and you have those like mental health surveys and depression surveys that built into the app as well i think that'll be cool and um useful for your doctor if that's a kind of doctor you're seeing um and a couple of things i wanted to point out these aren't really sherlock's but they're kind of they're just cool little features i needed people to know about naming pets and photos. I'm so excited by this. I've already went through and named every pet I could find in my photos app. Um, <laughs> I, I was previously using the te- There's like a, a, a description field. I was using that to name the pets in the photos. And now you can just do it um, through the re- face recognition software. And I think that's really smart. It's really good too, unless the breed is really close. Like I have this little mutt that's a yellow, um, what you could call a poodle, uh, gosh, terrier, um, Chihuahua, Yorkie mix. Like it's a, it's a mess, but it and its mother are basically identical and it can't figure them apart. Uh, other than that, like as long as their markings are slightly different, it has them all categorized already for you. And last thing, this is so funny. Like my mom's going to love this. I don't know where this, why they're doing this, but Apple news plus now has a daily crossword. It's not daily yet in the beta. They're just throwing one in randomly. I think they're testing the feature, but it will be daily once the feature, uh, once iOS 17 is released. And that's just kind of cool to me that you just have a little daily crossword in there. Yeah. The one I want to just circle back to really quickly is the Siri remote find my, here's the thing. It's silly that they don't have the U1 chip in there for the purposes of real find my, uh, you mentioned they're going to use Bluetooth. We'll get, which will get within 10 feet or so. But here's the thing. My, my Apple TV remote never leaves my living room. It's just that there are a thousand places in my living room that it can get stuck because it's very small. I don't even care if they put a U1 chip in there. Just put the little tiny speaker that's in the AirTag. You know that they could do this right. because they put a speaker in the AirTag. Just give me the speaker because all I need to do is have my phone say, make it make noise. And then I can figure out which of the 10 seat cushions it got, you know, 
the killer feature of the Apple Vision Pro. <laughs> you put it on and it tells you where the Siri Okay, I would spend $3,500 for that. All right, Wes, thanks so much for letting me fill in for Stephen. Thanks to all of you who are listening to us today. Stephen will be back next week. Thank you to this week's sponsors. And uh, we will, uh, well, I won't actually be here, but uh, the Apple Insider Podcast will be back. Stephen will be back next week. Thank you so much. The Apple Insider Podcast will return. I don't think we were that terrible (laughs) that uh, we scared everyone off. So thank you so much. 